Welcome to day five of our look at Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to look at a good section of scripture today as we look at the last half, really, of this, uh, of this great chapter. And it really talks to us about where you and I live now as followers of Jesus and what it means to live our life in Christ, in God's presence. And it gives us the picture in doing that of a mountain that we live on, Mount Zion. Let me read these verses, and then we'll talk about what it means to live on Mount Zion, beginning with verses 18 to 24. Let's go down through 24. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches this mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. These are powerful verses that really are comparing two mountains, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. Now, Mount Zion is named here. Mount Sinai is what's in verse 18, this mountain that couldn't be touched, this burning of fire, this darkness and gloom and storm. You can read about it in the book of Exodus. Sinai and Zion. Physically, Sinai is in the desert on the way to the promised land. Zion is a hill just outside of Jerusalem, one of the high points of that whole nation. Spiritually, Sinai was where the law was given. And Zion is the city of God, the place of promise, the place of grace. And personally, as you read these verses, Mount Sinai was a place to not touch, to stay away from. But Mount Zion is a place into which you're welcomed. When you read in the book of Exodus about Mount Sinai, it seems like a high point of the relationship of God and man. I mean, they've gone through the Red Sea. They've had these experiences. They all, all of a sudden come to this mountain, and there is darkness. There is gloom. There is lightning. There is power that's seen there, such power that no one can even touch it. And without a close look at the New Testament, you might be tempted to say, that's where followers of God need to go to truly experience God's presence. Go to Mount Sinai. But here in Hebrews, we're taught that although you can learn about the law from Mount Sinai, and you can see God's power at Mount Sinai, that's not where we live. We live in Mount Zion. And you look in these verses, you see the contrasts between Zion and Sinai. They're really the contrast between law and grace. Two powerful contrasts here. First, Sinai was an unapproachable mountain. Zion is a living city. Back in Exodus 19, verse 12, They were told, put limits, Moses was told, put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not go up to the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. It was a big keep out sign, caution tape, not just caution, but stay away, danger. A mountain that carried the death penalty for even touching it. That's not where we live. We live in Mount Zion, a heavenly city, a new Jerusalem. The law presents us with an unapproachable God, but grace in Christ causes us to be able to live in the presence of God. That's where we live. And so because of that, there's this other contrast. There's the contrast of Sinai being a place of terror and Zion being a place of joy. In these verses, we read about 
Sinai, darkness, gloom, whirlwind, versus Zion, rejoicing angels, thousands upon thousands, the church set free, the spirits of people who are brought to perfection in Jesus. Where would you rather be, Sinai or Zion? Well, we get to live in Mount Zion. The law inevitably pushed mankind away from God, and grace inevitably draws us towards him. And when you accept his grace, this is the place that you live. It's the contrast between words that are too terrible to hear and Moses full of fear And on the other side, you have Mount Zion where there's Jesus. Jesus mediating a new promise. Jesus saving us through his blood. The law makes men and women afraid of God because we know we deserve punishment. We know we don't deserve to be in God's presence. Grace gives us assurance before God because we know Jesus has given us what we don't deserve through his blood, through his promise. And so we can live in joyous relationship with the judge of all mankind Because Christ is our mediator. He's our go-between. And so based on that, the fact that you and I, we live on Mount Zion, what are we supposed to do about it? Verses 25 to 29 talk about that. Here's what you do about it. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less shall we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised Once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. These are verses that simply talk to us about how to live on Mount Zion. And and three things to do, three simple things in these verses. First, don't refuse him who speaks. Listen to the one who's speaking. If they missed it at Sinai and suffered in the desert for a generation because of that, how much more shall we suffer if we miss it when it comes to what God's doing in eternity? Don't miss the message of God's grace. And really what's behind this is he talks in verse 26 and 27 about shaken and and, and unshaken. What's behind this is what you're building your life on. The question is, are you building your life on what will be shaken or on what's unshakable? And what will be shaken or what's unshakable? This word once more means he's only going to shake it one more time. And then everything that's shakable, it's going to be gone. He won't need to shake it anymore because all the shakable stuff, it'll be shaken loose. Am I living my life for what's going to be shaken loose? Reminds me of Jim Elliott's famous famous quote, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Am I building my life? Am I spending most of my time on things that are gonna be shaken loose someday? Don't refuse him who speaks, who's speaking to you right now. Live your life for what's gonna last. Second thing is just these two words, be thankful. You wanna live on Mount Zion? You wanna live in this place of joy? Be thankful. There's no joy without thankfulness. There's really no faith, hope, or love without thankfulness. Thankfulness is one of the keys to living the life that God has given us to live. Ungrateful people do not live on Mount Zion. They live more on Mount Sinai. They live more in the place of legalism. They live more in the place of trying to prove themselves. Grace causes you to be grateful. Grace draws it into you. And gratefulness actually leads you more and more to God's grace. So be thankful. 
Don't refuse him who speaks, who is speaking to you right now. And then do a third thing. Worship God with reverence and awe. You worship God for who he is, and because of who he is, how could you not have reverence? How could you not have awe? The creator of the universe, the one who is above and beyond what I could possibly imagine, he connects with me through Jesus. I'm able to connect with him. There's a depth of reverence and awe there that's beyond words. There is a picture here, though, of it. God is a consuming fire. That's from Deuteronomy 4.24, that God is a consuming fire. It's interesting. That's just after talking about following idols. And then it says, God's a jealous God. He is a consuming fire. The fire of his judgment is going to burn away all the idols. So you trust in him. It's going to consume all that's temporary. Sometimes people read this and they get scared. God's a consuming fire. He's looking to burn me up. Now, this is about this is about the shakable and the unshakable. This is about what's going to last. I can worship God with reverence and awe because he's going to burn away all of the pain, all of the evil. It's going to be done away with someday. All that can be shaken will be shaken. It'll be done away with. And what will be left? What will be left is what we read about. You've come to God. You've come to Jesus. You come to thousands upon thousands of angels rejoicing forever and ever. You've come to believers, followers of Jesus from Old Testament and from New Testament who, because of their love for him, are going to be worshiping him forever. I describe it here on earth, and I have to admit, I can't understand all the joy that's going to be in it in heaven. For me on earth to understand all that it means to worship him together with all those people for eternity, every once in a while I might get a taste of it. But we're not there yet. We we, we don't quite understand the joy of it yet, but when we get there, we will understand it, and that's where we will live for eternity, for eternity. So let's do what we talked about just a moment ago. Let's thank him. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you that we live in the grace of Jesus. We thank you that in the grace of Jesus, we can stand in a place of joy. We can stand in a place of thankfulness. We can stand in a place of worship before you. We don't have to stand in a place of fear. We can stand in the place of your presence. And we are thankful. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, next week, next week we end our study of the book of Hebrews together with chapter 13. Chapter 13 is a most practical of chapters at the end of this most theological of books. Don't miss chapter 13, our last in the book of Hebrews this next week. (laughs) 